Good morning, Big Woods Bible Church Online. We welcome you this morning to join us. It is a unique setting, but this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. I tell you what, we will look forward to the time that we can gather together in one place to worship again. First and foremost, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Exodus as we continue on in our series, Exodus chapter 14, Exit to Promise and Purpose. God has an encouraging word for us this morning. First and foremost, we need to pray. Let's bow our heads and go to the throne of grace. together in spirit with one thought, one hope, one prayer focused on you and you alone. Lord, I pray this morning that you would be with our country. We pray, Lord, specifically that you would be with many around the world as we are all joined together, suffering together. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and that your strong hand would move and that you would bring healing and that you would bring hope. We thank you ultimately, Lord, for your son, Jesus, the giver of hope. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of eternal life and the hope of joy that exists when we rest in the full truth of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that as we are gathered together now as a local church, and to many that are listening abroad, that we would hear from you. Lord, please speak to me. Please speak through me. That everything that is said and done would be for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. I think I've been pretty honest with you. I've told you on more than one occasion, I'm not real good at math. I'm, I'm pretty bad in algebra, specifically. I flunked French. I can't sing very well at all. And I cannot hit a curveball if my life depended on it. And this week, I've actually discovered another thing. I am really bad at social distancing. I, I, I love people, and I, I love to be with people, and I love to talk face-to-face. -face. And I just naturally, I, I, I tend to lean in, as opposed to what uh, we should all lean back. This week, I was washing my hands, and I have to admit... I, I only sang happy birthday one time. You're supposed to sing it two times. There was no one to sing happy birthday to. I sneezed in my hand. I'm just not real good at this. I read this week 
that the entire world is frantic because everyone has realized two things. Number one, you are not in control. And number two, you will die. What is interesting is that every single church that preaches the gospel of Jesus, every week at Big Woods, we meet together and I try really, really hard to communicate as clearly as possible two things. Number one, you're not in control. And number two, you are going to die. Thus the reason that there's actually Good news. Even in the midst of a global pandemic, there is good news. There is a righteous, resurrected Savior whose name is Jesus. And that Savior, Jesus, came to earth. He lived a perfect and a sinless life. He died on the cross to make the payment once and for all, for all of your sins and for all of my sins. He paid the price that we simply could not pay. It is the greatest truth of all time. And you know what? There's, there's, there's more. That Savior did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he put an exclamation point to the greatest truth of all time. And you know what? There is still more. That Savior, Jesus, said, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. People, there is, there is no doubt this is hard. This is hard for, for many. This is a horrible thing. This, this CV19, this coronavirus. This invisible enemy that has been tagged with that name. The, the numbers continue to creep. So, so what? We can live in fear or we can live in faith. We can panic or we can pray. But like, how, how do we do this? How do we, how do we have faith? Really? We have got to know that God is in control. I've heard this question this week, but if God is in control, why? Why, why this? Why this sickness? Why disease? Why death? Please remember that death was not. It, it is not part of God's perfect Plan. But because mankind chose to rebel, as we learned last week in our study in Exodus, what? The consequence of sin is death. But the conqueror of sin is Jesus. God often, often uses things like this to bring people unto himself. So people, please hear me. And I am not, I am not trying to be flippant in any way. But if it takes a global pandemic to know that God is serious about truth, if it takes a global pandemic for people to put their hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then so 
be it. So be it. Book of Exodus, we have seen a God of grace. Book of Exodus, we have seen a God of glory, a God of unmatched miracles, a God that is limitless, and he calls us to follow. All of that, and, and before us this morning in our text, we have, as I have read on numerous occasions, what is called, quote, one of the most important stories in the Bible, the crossing of the Red Sea. Why is it so important? I don't think that there's a better example of a God who saves than right here, who steps in and saves in a big and impressive way. And before we read our text, we need to remember what God says. We're in Exodus chapter 14. It actually says in verse 4, we're going to begin reading just a moment in verse 13, but in verse 4... We have to remember the overarching theme that we have seen repeatedly through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, it says this. God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And what? You shall know that I am the Lord. We've seen that theme bubble up to the surface time and time and time Again, let's pick up the narrative. Exodus chapter 14, pick it up in verse 13. I'll read down through verse 16. The word of the Lord. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry grounds. Let me, let me try to set the scene as best as possible. The people of Israel, we know, we've been studying this, have come through one of the most surreal moments in all of history. Remembering they have just witnessed God judge. Judge the Egyptians, judge Pharaoh for his what? Ignorant, arrogant, hardened heart. I don't think it's a stretch to say that God literally humiliated the many false gods of the Egyptians. All the while, we have the Israelites who are standing not quite on the sideline, and they have watched plague after plague of almost apocalyptic proportions. The Israelites have watched the hail fall. They have watched the animals die, the locusts feed, the boils appear on the Egyptians, but not them. They have seen what darkness blanket the Egyptians, but somehow God miraculously kept them in the lights, and perhaps more impactful than anything else, they have heard firsthand in their ears the weeping and the wailing that came from every single home in Egypt as that final plague brought the death 
of every single firstborn. But what they were safe. We know that the Lord promised, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And in obedience, they covered their doorposts with the blood of a lamb without blemish. And God protected them. They were safe all the way through this. They were saved. God kept and continues to keep his promise to rescue and redeem. Now we know that what Pharaoh finally after that said, just go, go, go. They have quickly gathered all of their belongings and they begin to to race into freedom. It, It really must have been quite a scene. Exodus 12 verse 37 says that they were numbered 600,000 just men on foot, not counting women and children. Estimates are easily, easily, somewhere between 1 to 2 million people. I've heard up to 2.4 million people possibly. Think of that with all of their what? Their little billy goats, their little fluffy lambs, their livestock, flocks and herds. They even took jewelry. They had baked bread. They brought their pots and their pans. They took everything literally but the kitchen sink. I think it's pretty safe to say that this is not a fast-moving bunch. If you aren't sitting around right now in your living room in your pajamas, how long does it take for a big family to get ready to go to church? You try moving two million people. On top of all of that, as they head out into the wilderness, it says that God directs them through a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And they are en route to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And it appears, as they start out on this journey, at first glance, at quick glance, immediately it looks like they took the wrong turn, that they're actually heading in the wrong direction. It actually looks like they're lost. There's a map I want to show you. If you think about what, the upper left-hand corner is the land of Egypt, or Goshen is where they were. If you were to go due east, just a little bit north, that's the land of Canaan. It's a pretty straight, short line. Instead, what happens, instead of going due east, God directs through the cloud and through the fire for them to go south to the Red Sea. What? What is happening? Let me describe it to you. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says this, and I quote, They were already on the borders of the desert. And a short march would have placed them beyond the reach of pursuit as the chariots of Egypt could have made little progress over dry and yielding sand. But at Etham, instead of pursuing their journey eastward with the sea on their right, they were suddenly commanded to diverge to the south. A route which not only detained them from lingering on the confines of Egypt, but actually turned their backs on the land by which they had set out to obtain the possession. A move that was so unexpected and of which the ultimate design was carefully concealed could not but excite the astonishment 
of all, even of Moses himself. Although from his implicit faith in the wisdom and power of his heavenly guide, he obeyed. The object was to entice Pharaoh to pursue. Notice that Jameson Fawcett Brown says this, what? That, that it excited astonishment, this maneuver for all. The word astonishment simply is defined as to be greatly surprised. Everyone is greatly surprised. Two million people are greatly surprised. Why? Because it appears that they are now trapped. What is God doing? Let's just stop there. Ever ask that question? What is God doing? Following, following God, filling it, following a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire is, is basically like driving on a bus. Now, I have to be honest, I hate buses. I have just spent, I think from school or from sports and teens, I've just spent too much time on buses. I hate buses. You, you get on the bus, all the cool kids are sitting on the back of the bus, all the nerdy kids are on the front of the bus. Basically, it's what you, it's you sitting on the back of the bus and your boss is now what? Now your boss, he was the one sitting on the front of the bus. When you're on a bus, if the bus driver decides to turn left, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to go left. If the bus driver decides to just stop and wait, we're just going to wait here. Then you have to stop, which means what? You have no control. Think about what's happening here. Exodus chapter 14. God is driving the bus. It's really as if God is saying, I'm, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something that you will never, ever forget. 3,000 years from now, you will still be talking about it. Because you need to remember, as God says, I will get the glory. I will get the glory. The nation Israel, what, probably just over 72 hours into their journey, a journey that they don't know is going to last more than 40 years, they're, what, a couple days into it, and they already start complaining. Sure, God, sure, you, you, you can have all of the glory you want, but we're heading in the wrong direction. Sure, God, do what you want, but we are stuck. We are lost. We could make a straight, short line and be there. And you have backed us up against the sea. And we have nowhere to go. God says what? I will get the glory. Fine. But what are you doing? This past week, I heard that Elisha Nokomovitz, a 32-year-old restaurant worker from France, 
ran a marathon, 26.2 miles, and he ran it on his balcony that is 23 feet long while in quarantine. What, 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 like, what is happening here? God, what are you doing? Look around. This week alone, tens of thousands of people around the world have contracted a virus. Thousands have died. In our country alone, just this past week, 3.3 million people filed for unemployment. God, what are you doing? Just this week, what well, the, the Senate and the House and the President signed a two trillion, like that number, like this isn't even a real number, two trillion dollar bill. I've heard, also heard it described simply as a bridge to May. People are facing anxiety and fear like never before. Add what? Add, add isolation to that. And we're actually seeing a spike of suicide rates go up. God, what are you doing? We have teachers, many of them gifted, called. We have teachers who cannot teach classes. We have carpenters that cannot build homes. We have doctors and nurses that actually cannot care for people because they have been exposed to this virus. I'm a pastor and I read and I write and I pray and I study and I speak to people. I preach to people. I don't preach to 400 empty chairs. God, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to show you something you will never forget. I'm going to show you something that 3,000 years from now, they'll still be talking about. I will get the glory. And you will know that I am God. Who's driving the bus? Rather than ask, rather than you and I ask and the rest of the world ask, what is God doing? We, we have got to pan back here. We've got to see the big picture. And we've got to be able to rest in God's promises, knowing this, when you follow a limitless God, you don't need to be in control. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. He will be with you in the journey. Remember that. When you follow a limitless God, He will be with you in the journey. So significant is this story in Jewish history. It has been told and retold as a pivotal part. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years after this account in Exodus chapter 14, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 63. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. 
You know what many people believe, and I think you certainly can make a very, very strong case for, is that you know that cloud and you know that fire that the people are following? A strong case can be made that that, that cloud and that fire were the Holy Spirit. Who were what? Who were in the midst of you and I have got to remember, we've got, as we make our journey through life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, know this, know this. There's so much that we don't know. I want you to know this. You are not alone. God has promised us his spirit. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples in that boat in the Sea of Galilee? And a horrible storm kind of quickly came up. And the disciples, what is the, the water was coming in over the edges and the disciples were terrified. And Jesus was asleep. He's right there. And they're, they're convinced we're just going to die. We're all going to die. Jesus woke up and calmed the storm. And then he actually rebuked them. In, in grace and in love, he saved them. He calmed the storm, but he actually rebuked them. And he said this, where is your faith? Why do you have such little faith? I'm right here. You and I today need to be reminded of that truth that Jesus, what? Perhaps needs to even admonish you this morning. Why are you afraid? You're not alone. Where's your faith? We actually need to be reminded of the exact words that Moses told, what? The nation Israel. We just read them. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Does that sound, does that sound familiar? If you study Old Testament at all, doesn't that, isn't there another place, again, in Jewish history, Years later, again, when enemies were closing in in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat speaks what again to the nation Israel and says, Listen, everyone, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Whether or not it's Exodus chapter 14 or 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this is not new instruction for people who follow a limitless God. Think of dear Joshua. How many, 57 times, I don't know how many times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. A, a gristled veteran pastor, the Apostle Paul tells young Pastor Timothy, Timothy could struggle with fear like many of us. And Paul writes to him and says, what, you've not been given a spirit of fear? God doesn't do that to you. 
Same truth applies for us today. Whether it's the Israelites on the bank of the Red Sea with the enemy very quickly closing in or you and I watching the news darken and the numbers rise. What was Israel supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Don't, don't, don't be afraid. You watch... Keep your mouth shut. You're not in control. You're not driving the bus. Kevin DeYoung said it best. Sometimes the bravest thing that we can do is to rely on someone else stronger than ourselves. In the case of our current crises, as in every case, we rely on God. Number one, when you follow a limitless God, he will be with you in the journey. Number two, he will save you in the journey. A a sea of problems, literally for the Israelites, a sea of problems in front of them. An enemy that is closing in from behind. What to do? Listen carefully to the words of Moses. The Lord said, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you get the picture here? This does not make sense. Let's pick up the narrative. Down to verse 21. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back. By a strong east wind all night, and he made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. It's just like, what? Then Moses stretched out his hand and the Lord drove the sea back. So, so I, I guess what this means is that we just do nothing and God, like, like I, I don't even need to wash my hands. I don't need to like do that dumb like chicken hand. I don't, I don't need to do any of that, right? I don't need to keep a distance from people. I don't need to wear a mask. And God is just going to miraculously save me, right? That's, no, no, don't. That, that is not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about. God can save stupidity, but that's not what we are called to. God has graced you with a brain. God has graced you with wise people. Listen. To them. Use your brain. Proverbs talks about that all the time. God has graced us with government authorities to, to listen to and submit to and obey and, and pray to. Pray for. First Timothy speaks about this. First Peter talks about that. Romans 13 speaks about that. This is bad. No doubt this is bad. But let me remind you that there have actually been Times that were worse. Remember in 1918, the Spanish flu. 50 million people died. And, and as horrible as that was, it actually was even worse before that. 
the bubonic plague, or what was referred to as the Black Death, ravaged Europe, what, from the 14th to the 17th century. Estimated, they don't even know, somewhere between 100 to 200 million people dead. In the midst of that, a pastor we are well familiar with, Martin Luther, wrote a letter to Dr. John Hess in reference to a Christian's response or a follower of God's response in the midst of a plague. Martin Luther said this, and I quote, I shall ask God to mercifully protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and, and I will take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and, and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See this as such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God. What we need to understand is this, and how we are to live in response. What we need to do in the midst, in the midst of, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of crises, enters what? A world that is in panic enters who? The church. Jesus Christ, those that follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, who, what? We are called to, to move throughout this world within un, unwavering trust in God's providential sovereignty. If God calls you to sickness or if God calls you to health, if God calls you to life, or if God calls you to death, what the church of Jesus Christ knows, what we have got to rest in, is the truth. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Which means that we live throughout all of this world knowing we have faith and hope in a limitless God. That what? Either you will be healed or you will be healed. We know when you follow a limitless God, either you will live or you will live. Either you're going to be with family or you're going to be with family. Either you're going to be well taken care of or you're going to be well taken care of. But I don't want to get preachy on you because like the chairs are empty. But that's the truth. When you follow a limitless God, he will be with you in the journey. He will save you in the journey. Third and finally, he will give you grace to endure the journey. Let's go back to our text. Exodus chapter 14, we pick up the narrative in verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. 
So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel... They walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. And in his servants, Moses. When God chose to protect his own. When, when God's chosen people, who we know were, are the Israelites, or Paul, Paul depicts the Israelites in Romans chapter 11 as, as natural branches of a cultivated olive tree. When God chose to save his chosen people, then we call that grace. God saved them, protected them from the enemy. They didn't deserve it, but they received protection and blessing and salvation. It's called grace. What's interesting is that today, followers of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus, where again in Romans chapter 11, as Paul describes us as a wild olive shoot that was grafted into the branches of the olive tree. When we have been saved from the enemy of sin and death, what? It's still called grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve this day. We don't deserve this moment. And God calls us. To follow him. And as we follow him, he extends to us this gift. Remember this this morning. Remember this. The hope of God's grace gives us the strength and the ability to trust him even in the midst of the unknown. Let me say that again. The hope of God's grace gives us the strength and the ability to trust him even in the midst of the unknown. I'm going to close by reading a text of scripture. I just, I, I cannot add to it. It cannot be stated any better. These words are so perfectly for us today. Let me conclude by encouraging you. Second, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For we who live are always being given over 
to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our own mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. But life in you. I believed and so I spoke. Knowing, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is God doing? In this very moment, God is showing you his glory. He will get glory. 3,000 years from now, we'll be talking about how God received the glory. How? Because people put their trust in him. People were comforted in the grace that was extended, in the gift that was given that we did not receive. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in the midst of chaos and crises and panic and the unknown, enter you, you who follow a limitless God. May you be a breath of fresh air. May you offer a cup of cold water. Check up on your neighbors. Pray for them. Pray with them. We have for some unknown reason to us, but certainly in God's providence, in our, I believe, like no other, our. May we be faithful. May we be faithful as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and live every day and breathe every breath for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I confess and I think speak for so many that we have a question, we have a problem and we question your plans. And Father, I just ask that you would forgive me of questioning your plan. Forgive any one of us. And say, God, what are you doing? May we from this text be reminded and be encouraged that you, Lord, are doing an amazing work. May we, may we not get discouraged and, and drugged down. May we step back, pan back, See the big picture of what you're doing. That all of this, all of this, you will be glorified in. Give us the strength that we need from you. Make us bold. Make us brave. Give faith to those who are struggling. Renew our hearts and our minds with the hope of eternal life that exists because of and through the work 
Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Bless us this week. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. Until we meet again, make sure that you pay attention to emails and instructions and directions. We can pray together. We can worship together from a distance until we are gathered. And what an amazing, wonderful day that will be. Look forward to it. I love you, miss you, and we'll see you again soon. Lord bless.